Welcome to the Positivity Podcast, where we explore the skills and strategies of personal development with cutting-edge researchers, authors, entrepreneurs, and experts. Burnout. The word itself gets me hot and bothered. I think of a bunch of friends huddled around a campfire in the middle of a forest, laughing, telling stories, until unexpectedly the fire goes out. And in darkness they think, now what do we do? I think of my mom wagging her finger at me at a young age saying, make sure you slow down now or you'll overwork yourself. And she was right. In 2012, after working 12-hour days at a restaurant venture I started, I crashed. And this is something I often ponder. In a world filled with so many passionate people, how do we live a balanced life? What's the equilibrium of taking care of ourselves while giving ourselves to a cause and purpose, using our energy without running out of fuel, and making sure the campfire stays lit and mom stays happy? I sat down with Noel Gordon, an acclaimed social activist, to hear his take on living a balanced, positive life. By the end, he had me rethinking not only my own work-life balance, but also how I saw my impact altogether. To give you a sense of what Noel, now 24, has accomplished up until now, he started three student organizations at the University of Michigan that still exist, two around LGBTQ inclusion and advocacy, one around debate. He's a member of a bunch of different fellowships, including the Truman Scholarship. He's a Truman Scholar. Larry King Jeffrey Fashion Cares Point Scholar. He was called an emergent LGBT leader from the White House. Um, he's also a Gilman Scholar. And he now works at the Human Rights Campaign, where last year he was named the Employee of the Year, and his work has been in over 100 publications. And did I mention he is 24 years old? podcast episode. I'm so excited. I'm so excited too. And I think, I'm, I've been thinking so much about all the questions I want to ask you. You have such uh, intense perspectives and, <laughs> and distinct perspectives on a lot of things, including work, self-care. It sounds like you've been very busy <laughs> and you've done a tremendous amount of work. And I think that a lot of people might look at you and say, how does he do it? And, and then Something that I found out about you in one of our early conversations that it just is so striking to me is that you leave the office at 5.30 every day. And you, Mo- yeah, 90% <laughs> most, most of the time. Um, and you set very clear limits to where you work. And and tell me a bit about that decision and like what, what thought goes behind that. Because I'm thinking for myself, if I want to make it big and have a tremendous impact... I got to put in tons and tons of hours. You know, what, what, why, why are you kind of taking that different path? And what does that thought go behind that? Yeah. Um, I was fortunate enough before, you know, sort of moving into my professional career um, to talk with a lot of people um, in the sort of nonprofit progressive uh, politics policy space. And one of the things that I kept hearing over and over and over again 
was uh, sort of social justice burnout. The idea that uh, advocates were putting so much of themselves into their work that by the time they were, you know, three, five, seven, ten years into it, they really felt as though they uh, couldn't remember the last time they took a vacation, couldn't remember the last time that they had worked out, couldn't remember the last time that they felt good about themselves in terms of their physical, emotional, um, and mental wellness and health. And so that, to me, was a red flag that if all these people are uh, making this decision and coming out on the other end of it not satisfied with their decision, perhaps I should do something differently. And so that was really when I first started to consider taking a different route, which is to say that to, like, you know, not assume that the amount of hours that I put into the day necessarily correlates with the amount of work that I want to get done or the impact that I want to have on the world. Um, and I think it's a false uh, correlation that many people make, which is to say that if I spend 60 hours on something, I am going to get 60 hours worth of output. And I don't think that's true. Um, at least it has not been true in my experience. Mm -hmm. And so that was one. And the second dynamic was I noticed coming out of undergrad that a lot of my peers would spend hours upon hours after hours um, working, but not because they couldn't accomplish the work uh, during the workday, but because they didn't want to give the impression that they weren't working. Hmm. So they wanted to, so, so they were more interested in creating the illusion that they were working, you know, overtime uh, to suggest to their bosses, the upper level management, that they were, they cared about the work. And they feared that if they left at 5.30, that they would be perceived as not caring about the work, not doing the work, um, not putting in what's, what's needed to sort of, you know, advance the movement. And... I just rejected that calculus. I didn't. I didn't think it would be one that would yield to uh, the results. And even if it did yield to the results that they or I might have wanted, I wasn't sure I was willing to give up the costs or put in the costs. Which so is what just, were the costs to you? You know, I I would say the costs for me were um, what I endured during my senior year of college, which is when I was at sort of the lowest point of my life in terms of my physical, emotional, and mental wellness. I was in and out of hospitals all the time. I saw a doctor, I think, two or three times a month for various different ailments. Um, I was uninsured at the time. Uh, thankfully, through one of my scholarships, I was able to change that. Um, and yet, I was graduating, planning a conference, running three organizations, and consulting, you know, some of the university campus offices about inclusion and, and diversity. Um, and I sort of, you know, said for the greater good of the community, I would, you know, sort of put my own well-being to the side. And so having gone through all of that and coming out on the other end to say, well, yes, all of those things mattered, but... I'm going to be dealing with some of these health issues, you know, for a while if I don't, like, get my act together. And so, and I'm not going to be much good to anybody if I don't get my act together uh, and do it very quickly. And so I think I knew what the costs were in terms of, you know, physical costs, financial costs, emotional costs, uh, relationship costs from the time I had an undergrad. And to hear it come out of people's mouths professionally to sort of say they had endured the same cost. I was like, well, I'm not going to make that same mistake. Mm -hmm. And so I chose a different path and I, you know, 
completely admit that it was a leap of faith. It could have ended up terribly, but what I found is that I was able to accomplish everything that I wanted to accomplish and more um, without having to endure a lot of those costs. And I could do it um, in a time that was um, reasonable and, 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 and not burdensome. Mm-hmm. Do you think you would have been able to accomplish all you did at University of Michigan if you had, if you hadn't, I'd almost use the word sacrifice mm-hmm. part of yourself for the cause? And and I, I'm thinking, you know, you've you've impacted so many different people. I mean, especially with your work of helping people feel an acceptance within themselves and a self love. Mm-hmm. I'd imagine that if you didn't sacrifice yourself there could be dozens of people who would be in more pain than they are now like doesn't that bother you to think that if you had done a different route that was helping yourself right there'd be more people suffering in the world um well one i'm not arrogant enough to assume that someone else not would not have done the work had i not done it um so that's one uh you know it, it just so happened that i was the one to create these organizations but it's not to say that someone else couldn't have come along and did it um so that's one. Two, so I, I don't um, I don't look at myself as being, you know, uh, the necessary ingredient um, for that um, outcome. I think I was just a conduit through which it happened, but it could have been any number of talented, brilliant people at Michigan. Uh, two... Perhaps my output of w- would have gone down, but I'm not as sure that my impact would not have been as high, if not higher. Tell me more about that. Because perhaps if I had done less, but focused on doing a deeper dive on fewer things, I would have had more of an impact than I would have had in terms versus uh, sort of having a broad scope of things um, touch many people, but, ha- but perhaps not go as in depth as I would have liked. Um, and so I think, again, it speaks to, for me, this false equation of output and impact. And I'm not sure that it's a one-to-one ratio in the ways that people think about it, particularly in terms of advocacy and social justice spaces. And so for me, perhaps if I had been better, ta- if I had taken better care of myself emotionally, physically, mentally, I would have had the clarity of mind and the energy to invest in some really big, bold things um, and really, you know, sort of go hard on that versus spreading myself really, really thin and making an impact, to be sure. Um, So I think the counterfactual could work in the other way. You know, if I had taken better care of myself, would the impact have been higher? Versus the question I think, which which is what you're asking, which is, you know, had I taken better care of myself, would the impact have been lower? And I'm not sure that's true. So let's say it's 5.30, you know, and on this day you want to um, go go home because you want to spend... What do you spend your extra time doing? I usually will go to the gym. Um, physical health is very important to me. Mm-hmm. I will spend time with friends. Um, so emotional connections, relationships are important to me. So any number of things, but those yeah. are two things I might do. Okay. I'd imagine that, especially as someone who's young, there's almost an extra expectation that you're going to work hard and this, these are your three years to right. give it your all right. give, sell your soul the, to the, the learning years yes. I, I've heard them called the learning years little pay right. you know maybe yep. not as good <laughs> mental yep. health or relationships or yep. not a full life I'd imagine and 
that you're leaving and there's probably people in the organization who are like, is Noel slacking? Or um, I, I, I guess when it comes time to promotion, um, you know, people might be like, well, Noel doesn't put in enough mm-hmm. work. You know, right. how do you, what type of response would you say to those people in, in the organization? And like, at least for me, I would feel like an immense amount of, if, if I was in your situation, I'd be like, oh yeah, you're right. Okay, I'm going to work more. And then I just get like sucked back into it. You mm-hmm. know? Um, and I'd say, oh yeah, well, there are people who I know like Noel in college who worked their butt off and had an impact and that seems worth it. Like mm-hmm. it, it seems very easy to get sucked back mm-hmm. into the culture. So what, what do you, how do you talk to yourself about it and how do you talk to other people? Um, if you're confronted with right, right, you know, it's something that I, I thought about, and and to be and to be sure, um, I know people who have made the opposite decision, which is to say, I know people in other organizations, peers of mine, who continue to stay late um, because they fear that if they sort of upend the learning years narrative, that they will sort of be sacrificing or putting themselves at jeopardy putting their promotions, putting their, you know, pay raises in, in jeopardy. Um, and what I, what I say to myself is, um, if my work is good enough, it won't matter, right? If, if my work is valuable enough, is, much, is as much of a value add to this organization or to this club or to this network as I think it is, then it won't matter how much hour, how many hours I put in because the work will speak for itself. Um, and so, and to be clear, that's a very risky proposition because the work may not speak for itself, in which case you um, may be uh, let go, may face consequences. And so I think it takes a certain level of... Um, realistic thinking on both ends, right? So one, it may work out and it'll be really great or it may not work out and it'll be really shitty. And I had to come to terms with both of those realities and sort of set myself up for whichever way it may unfold, but I was ready for whichever way it may unfold. I made a conscious decision to say, if it turns south, if it goes south, I will uh, act accordingly. Um, But I've seen many people go south even making the other decision right so i have nothing yeah. to lose in making the decision that you know taking the it's path of most resistance yeah. right you know everyone has lost by taking the path of least resistance um and so why don't i try something different yeah. right I, I already know that there are people who prove that output does not necessarily correlate with impact so if i make the other decision at this point let's see what happens and you know i got promoted after a year uh i um, uh, you know, have felt very good about my work and have been told that my work has made a difference. Um, and so I think what it, for me, what it came down to was having a sense of self that allowed me to say, I'm okay with whichever way this goes. And I think that's a very hard thing for people to do which is to say that I'm going to be okay with things going south because it sort of requires you to admit to yourself that things may not work out um, 
And you are the reason it's going, and you yourself are the reason it didn't work out. Not anybody else. Like, so the blame is on me, right? So I made the wrong decision and I have to live with the consequences. And I think I... Was Why right. would you ever set yourself up for a situation like that? Why wouldn't you just be like, I'm trying to do the best? Because I think people... Um, I think people underestimate um, themselves and overestimate others. Which is to say, In what context? which is to say, I think people see someone else being like, "Oh my God, this person is great. This person's amazing. They can accomplish all these things. Um, I can't do that for X, Y, Z reason." And they sort of just take, and then the solution becomes work harder, right? And they more. take that at face value, rather than assessing what the, those person's strengths are what those person's weaknesses are and how they've calculated their workflow in a way that sort of plays to their strengths, right? So in setting up my, my workflow, I play to my strengths, which would allow me to do a lot of things, even if not putting in that many hours. So I think part of it, when I said sense of self, it really takes you knowing what you're good at, what you're bad at, uh, what you're willing to accept, what you're not willing to accept. And that takes a lot of introspection, a lot of self-reflection, and like I said, a lot of uh, self-acceptance that like, I'm very bad at these things, right? And I know if I spend hours and hours doing them, it may yield output, but it's not gonna be very quality output. So I'd rather invest my time and energy playing to my strengths and you know, being a value add without um, spending you know, countless hours of paid time uh, on the clock not producing quality work. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, so I, I think you know it goes back to the point I made at the very top, which is that I think for me the reason I made the decision was really twofold. One, no one had made that decision to see what happens, or at least no one told me they made that decision to see what happens. So I sort of said, okay, I'll I'll be the guinea pig, and then two, I had I was I was I reassured myself that if the decision led to some negative consequences. I'll be all right. <laughs> like, I'll be okay. It, it will not be the end of the world. Yeah. I'll course correct. Uh, but I think that's really hard for some people to do. Interesting. And it, it sounds like a lot of what you're talking about is recognizing your own limits. Mm -hmm. What role do you think limits play for people who are super ambitious um, and super proactive? And what role do you think limits play in our culture? Um... So if people generally underestimate themselves and overestimate others, I think ambitious people overestimate themselves and underestimate others, which is to say that they assume or think they're more capable of that which they actually are uh, and think others are more incapable of things than they actually are. And so for me, I embrace... What, what does that look like? I mean, I think, for instance, if it's to say that I am very good at XYZ, but I'm very bad at ABC, um, you know, Helen may be good at C, but there's no, but I know that I can be better at C if I just work hard enough, right? Or if I try to be, um, if I just study more versus accepting that, like, I'm actually just bad at seeing Helen's better at it, right? And so rather than waste all this time trying to be better at C, why don't I 
Lupin Helen and ask her, hey, I'm really bad at this. Can you help me um, create a better quality product? And that requires a level of humility. That requires a level, level of um, uh, vulnerability to say I'm bad at something and that you're better at it than me and that together we can make something great. Uh, I think it flies in the very nature or it flies in the very idea that exceptionalism uh, or exceptional people are exceptional all the time hmm. in all things, in all ways. And I don't think that's true. Um, I think exceptional people know what they're exceptional at and loop in other people so to deal with the things they're not exceptional at so they can focus their time on the things they're exceptional at. Yeah. And so uh, it really, for me, speaks to what I've embraced in my own life which is that it's okay to have limits. It's okay to always push against limits. But if I'm only trying to push against them for the sake of, you know, I, well, I, I'm not bad at this or I'm not bad at that, um, I think that is a, a place of arrogance and a place of uh, pride and hubris that is unhealthy and counterproductive. Uh, but if you're pushing back against limits, if you're pushing up against limits because you're, um, in a state of self-improvement, if you're in a state of wanting to grow or learn or adapt. And the difference is I'm not doing that to some end, right? I'm not trying to better myself to some end. Like I'm not trying to out, you know, pace Helen. I'm not trying to get Helen's job. I'm really just interested in my own personal development. I think that's great. I think where we go wrong is where we say, well, I'm going to try to outpace Helen. But it's like, well, Helen right. is the best damn copy editor in the organization. And you're not like... <laughs> just give the document to Helen to copy edit. Like, I just don't understand. Uh, and I think, again, it speaks to this idea that exceptional people can't be um, vulnerable and they can't be weak and they can't be uh, asked for help because that sort of uh, diminishes the value of their um, talents and, and strengths. And I see it as quite the opposite. In acknowledging my limits, I can be more exceptional. <laughs> I get, you know, all of this speaks to an underlying uh, principle in my life, which is to say that, you know, and this, uh, you know, so I guess speaks to the idea of limits, but I like, at the end of the day, I'm just not that important, right? And I, I have never thought myself to be that important. I, I, I sort of um, think of myself in relationship to the larger world. And if I get the balance between doubt and confidence wrong one day, like the world will not end, right? Like it will continue spinning, like, you know, uh, world peace will not be solved if I don't figure out how to do this. And so I guess uh, I don't put too much stock in it because I, it, the consequences of me not balancing it are not that drastic or dire. Yeah. It's funny hearing you say that you're not that important. I mean, you know, all the stuff we talked about, you've, You've alleviated suffering of so many people. You've so many people who didn't feel like they belong now yeah. feel like they belong because of you. There are organizations that have persisted. You are, but the difference people. of that is the work helped alleviate the suffering of those people. But I did not. You birthed the work. You created the work. But there you are, are the person. But it's not clear to me that had I not done it, as I said earlier, someone else would have. Look, yeah. have there been other organizations for queer and trans people of color at Michigan? Yes. Have there been other forums for people to discuss political issues? Yes. Have there been other people who have consulted with the university to try to make it more inclusive of LGBT students? Yes. Mm -hmm. All of those things are true, right? I am part of a long lineage of people before, during, and after who do mm -hmm. work. 
And my job is just to not screw up the work that's already been done and push it a little yeah. bit farther so that the next person who comes through can make that can do that work in a much more efficient and effective way. Don't you see yourself as a really important cog in that machine? I mean, because you're saying you don't see yourself as that important. I wake up every day feeling like I am important, hopefully not in a narcissistic way, but I want to believe that the work I'm doing is going to contribute in some way. And I think a lot of people's egos are built on the fact that like they're an important person and that they're going to have an impact and at least they're going to try and they're going to try to do things that are important. Yeah, I think that's just way too much expectation to place on one's per, on one on oneself. Um, because the the flip side to that, what, then what's my the, you know, the, as someone who cares so much, right? I feel like a lot of my self worth is based on how I want to have an impact and how I I am a net positive to the world. Yeah, mine is not. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but it's it's interesting because right. I, I would assume that someone who has achieved as much as you would feel so personal and passionate about the topic that that would drive like you are the importance seems like it would be the self-importance seems like it would be a very important piece (laughs) to that motivation because if you didn't think your work was important you know i've done homework assignments like i'm gonna i've done homework assignments in school handed it in i mean like that was the biggest waste of my time it, it didn't serve me it didn't really serve a lot of other like the teacher certainly doesn't work like that was not important and so i'm not excited about it you know it's hard for me to get excited about work if i don't think that it's important and therefore me doing it isn't important yeah i think i don't i don't i don't agree i mean i just huh. i i don't i don't see work as an extension of myself um the work that I do is separate and distinct from who I am as a person. Um, Noelle, the friend, Noelle, the son, Noelle, the brother, Noelle, the lover, is separate and distinct from Noelle, you know, who can produce X paper or create Y organization. Um, and so what drives me to continue to do the work are the benefits that I see it has on people's lives. But... I'm very clear with people um, that, you know, I, the best work that I can do is to make myself irrelevant. Um, So I am constantly taking on projects and, and creating things with the hope that I will one day become irrelevant because I should not matter. Irre- irrelevant in what way? Irrelevant to the the effectiveness of the work, the longevity of the work, the people who benefit from it. Like my greatest accomplishment will be if in ten years the people at the University of Michigan don't know who the hell Noel Gordon was, but they know what the Coalition of Queer People of Color is, and they still find value in that space, right? Mm-hmm. It's not necessary for me to be part of that work, and in fact. I'll know I have been successful if it can live beyond me um, because that proves that it wasn't, that I was not an integral piece. And I think that's where a lot of um, times I'm wary of getting involved in things because I see that people have not disassociated their self-worth or value from the work that they do. And I cannot live my life with that expectation that if this project fails, I have failed as a human being. I just don't, I don't want to live my life in that way. And so it also gives me the freedom to then say, if this fails, it failed, right? And that's okay. Like things fail all the time and the world continues to spin and people continue to love and suffer. And so I think insofar as I can make the world better, right? 
then I think that's great. But insofar as I am somehow an integral part of it, um, that to me, I think, takes a level of arrogance and hubris and um, naivety uh, that is dangerous mm. for um, the causes that I and others care about. Mm. Um, so yes, I, I, I don't get involved in things where I, I think, uh, you know, the first question I ask myself when I get involved in a project is, will this be able to outlive me and my involvement? And if the answer to that question is no, then I won't do it. Um, because at that point, I'm just creating jobs for me to do rather than problems to fix. The whole point of fixing a problem is that one day it goes away. And so the problem is not going away because it's dependent on your job existing or your project existing. Your job is perpetuating the problem. Then I think that becomes become a challenge. Mm-hmm. Profound. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking. I have so many thoughts going through. How do you see impact in that light and your personal impact? I think a lot of people um, see their contribution as primarily through their work. You mentioned earlier that you take a lot of pride in how principled you are in mm-hmm. life and seeing your impact not just coming from your work, but also from the day-to-day little things you do, whether it's on social media or mm-hmm. whether it's um, conversations with friends. What is impact outside of your nine to, I guess, literally 5.30. (laughs) What sense do you make of the impact that's outside of work and inside work, and how do you weight both of those against each other? I have always believed that the greatest impact I could have on the world is to live my life in a way that people know who I was, what I stood for, and can find some sort of um, solace, comfort, or inspiration in that. Um, Because then, in so doing, they might be able to lead a better life, you know, do better things, um, lead a more fulfilling, meaningful existence. Um, so that to me is, so, and I have long believed that in terms of advocacy, um, I've, I've, I have never underestimated the power of role modeling, which is to say, um, living your life in such a way that you serve as a, I'll use, you know, a term that Laverne Cox created or popularized, a possibility model, which, you know, is to say that I'm not arrogant enough to say I've lived in my life, I've lived my life in this way, you should too, but rather because I've lived my life in this way, it is possible for you to do it also. That is what I think I try to anchor myself in. And so, yeah, so for me, I measure my impact by how... Did I live my life in a way that inspired, gave comfort, or solace to people? And of course, my work is part of that. But there are many other things that are part of that as well. What are those things? I'm trying to picture some distinct actions that you do or mm-hmm. things you say that inspire, give comfort, and help people feel like they belong. I mean, do I give a homeless person money when they ask for it on the street? Do I um, help do I help connect people to other good people? Um, do I support people in whatever decision that they want to make, regardless of how I may feel about it? Do I 
Do I make people happy? Um, have I told someone I love them? I mean, there are, there are these small actions that I think, you know, I can only control what is in my sphere of influence. And because I'm not that important, my sphere of influence is pretty small. And so I want to have the greatest possible impact on that very small sphere. And the best way I can do that is to live my life in a way that inspires, gives comfort, and gives support or lends support. And so, and when you do that, when that's your primary motivation, yeah, it's nice if I get published in 300 publications. Yeah, it's nice if I, you know, can lobby a member of Congress to pass a bill or support a bill that I like or support. But what's more meaningful to me is that my friend was able to go home to spend time with his dying mother. Or what's more important to me is that the homeless person I saw on the street could eat that day. Um, so do you get more uh, high off of those things than if you had a you successfully lobbied a congressperson to pass a bill? I guess so. Because again, I'm more integral to my sister's life than I am to that member of Congress. Right? It's not clear to me that there isn't somebody else who could have come through and lobbied that member of Congress. It is clear to me that there are few other people in the world who could have come and helped my sister do what it is she needed to do. Right? Because no one knows my sister like I do. No one has a relationship to the sister to my sister like I do. Um, no one can relate to my sister in the ways that I do. And so I'm integral to those relationships and to those circles. And so that's where I see the most value. Um, again, it's not clear to me. I have no reason to believe that there isn't a thousand Noels walking across the world um, who would have moved into that space had I just not occupied it. Right? And when that is your underlying belief, then again, it doesn't matter if you win or lose because there will be someone to win if you lose and someone to continue winning if you win. Uh, and when that is what you keep in the back of your mind, I think your ability to to make an impact, you know, uh, expands exponentially because then you're not worrying so much about like, you know, meeting on a quota or a goal or an objective, but rather you're really focusing on addressing the problem. And if you're and if addressing the problem is going to take 15 years or 20 years, then you're like, all right, well, I'm going to make as big an imprint as I can on this. And then someone else will finish the job or someone else will get closer to that, that, that end. It kind of reminds me of one of Martin Luther King Jr.'s quotes that the arc of the benefit, the arc of the universe bends towards justice. And even if you don't actually get the results you want to see, you are pushing the dial in some direction and someone else will pick it up and push it even further. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, but I think it's important to temper that with, um, you know, yeah, I think it's important to separate um I guess what I'll say is I don't think the pursuit of justice is the high, is the most noble form of um, living on this planet, right? I don't think advocacy or activism is the noblest form of existence. So would you say that your theory of, of impact is relationship-based rather than 9 to 530 organization-based? Oh, yes, based? certainly. Tell me more about that. I mean... What, what does that mean, relationship-based? I guess I came up with the word. <laughs> so, right, you're asking me but, to define I, a term that you de created. Define my words. Right. Um, but, you know, 
I mean, that's that's a pretty profound statement that the biggest impact you're going to have is not going to be on your LinkedIn profile. No, it probably won't. So, yeah, so relationship versus work-based. Um, again, I think it speaks to, you know, what is the impact I'm making as a whole person rather than Noelle, the advocate, Noelle, the activist, Noelle, the policymaker, blah, 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 blah. And I think when you don't prioritize one form of impact over another, but rather sort of take it in some, uh, and then, you know, at that, and with that in mind, you know, I don't think I can ever say I've made more of an impact than somebody else because the impact that I, I'm, I'm more interested in the sum total of my impact rather than any one individual project. Now, obviously mm. this is, you know, context specific. Um, so if I'm talking about a work context, obviously there are numbers and goals and objectives that you have to meet. But we're just talking about like, you know, theory of change, you know, guiding principles, you know, life philosophy. Um, that to me is part and parcel of a larger uh, fixture. Mm. And that fixture for me focuses more on cultivating people and cultivating relationships because ultimately if I've cultivated people and relationships then the work will continue but if I've only created work but no people then it's not clear the work will continue mm. right so yeah why do you think um, a lot of people might see themselves in their career otherwise why do you think that it's more of a cultural norm for people to um, see their impact as a modality of their work and that's their resume is their impact why do you think that more people don't see it your way not to say that one's right and one's wrong right I mean I think part of it has to do with you know living in a society that I mean capitalist societies the you know value output right how much can you produce that is like you know the point of capitalism is how much can you produce and you know, how much can you then get for what you produce? And so I think um, that's a function of it. Uh, I think culturally we live in sort of, you know, the American exceptionalism narrative or framework. So I think that is embedded in a lot of our cultural, you know, cues. So in terms of you know, symbols, politicians, movies. Could you give some examples? Right. I mean, may not be aware of that theory. I mean, you know, if the idea is that America is an exceptional place or the indispensable nation, as, you know, I think a former president uh, called it, then part of what it means, to, then if you're an American, you help make America an indispensable nation, right? And so it's, I imagine only... And you yourself might be Right. Which connects to what you're saying it, 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 I can see why you would then think, well, yeah, like, I like... I'm pretty badass. Like, like I'm an American. Yeah, I'm indispensable too. Um, and I don't think that is that is uh, the case. So I think you know, and I'm not you know suggesting that capitalism or America are um, wrong, bad, backwards, whatever. Um, what I am suggesting though is that they animate and uh, uh, speak to dynamics that I think we internalize as people, um, and we can't help but internalize. Now, the which other, dynamics? The dynamics of sort of thinking that one's. Uh, so, if we're going to map it out, most people spend most of their time at work, right? Mm -hmm. That's, you know, you spend most of your adult life working, nine to five jobs. If you think that 
you yourself are indispensable because you live in an indispensable nation, then it might seem as though, well, what am I doing to contribute to this indispensable nation? Well, I spend most of my time working. So clearly what I'm doing is contributing to the American economy. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm not doing that, then I'm not contributing. I think that's why partially why you see such a demonization of like, the poor or you know people who are not working or people who are on welfare is constantly asked what are you contributing to american society but those people are con- i mean same thing happened with undocumented immigrants right you know what are they contributing they're not paying taxes what are they contributing mm-hmm. to america um and when they're when they're asking those questions they're looking for tangible work output country right exactly um they're i was going to say they're not looking at you know um the communities that those people serve or the volunteer work that they do or the um, relationships that they've built, or the, culture, the happiness they bring to their family, or the back. ways that they've made our culture more rich and diverse and and tolerant and inclusive, right? Uh, and so I think all of that adds up to people um, hearing that message and then having it being reinforced. And then you know, well, if you question those messages and you're a communist, a socialist, blah 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 blah. So we have set up a system of rewards and punishments for you know, sort of adopting the mainline point of view. So say, I mean, if there's one sort of, I guess, takeaway for me, you know, it's that I have been really fortunate in my life to have people say it's okay if you don't have all the answers. It's okay if you just live your life. It's okay if you mess up. Um, And I think particularly for folks who care deeply about the world or care deeply about people, it can feel as though you're constantly on the high wire where one false step and everything, you know, may come crashing down. And to be able to sort of just move through the world without that weight on my shoulders is tremendous. Whether that's, you know, moving through the world in terms of not having a weight on my shoulders in terms of sex, in terms of my advocacy, in terms of my work, in terms of my relationships. Um, Just being able to, again, going back to something I said earlier, live my life in a way that inspires, gives support or comfort to other people, which also includes screwing up because people screw up, right? So to show people that you can screw up and continue on is an important part of that story. So I think in living your life in that way, it's been how I've been able to accomplish as much as I have, I think. And because, uh, you know, what's that saying? Um, time flies when you're having fun, right? So I would say time flies when you're not worried about, you know, how much time you have. Mm-hmm. And then you can be that much more effective and have that much more of an impact. So that would be, I think, my main takeaway to folks is to, like, you know, live a little, like, breathe. It'll be okay. Uh, you'll continue on. And, and that will be that will be enough. I think people are constantly trying to figure out the more than, and I am just trying to figure out the enough. And I think I have found where I'm happy being enough, and that is good enough for me. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Of course. It's excited to see what happens. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thank Hopefully you, so much, you uh, found something that you can walk away with. I completely echo that statement. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, everybody. We'll Bye. see you again soon.